This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Sometimes, negative, anxious, or worried thoughts seem to take on a life of their own. Talking with a therapist can help you identify the origins of your anxiety. Once you know why your mind works the way it does, you can take steps to rewire your brain. Yes, it is possible to rewire your brain. Both mindfulness techniques in EMDR, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy, show positive changes in the brain during brain scans. Negative emotions, thoughts, and body sensations are often caused by unprocessed memories stored in the brain. By processing distressing life events and learning tools and skills to help manage stress and anxiety, you can let it go. Valeria interviews Andrea Harbeck. She is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in Denver, Colorado. She has been an eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing EMDR therapist for over 10 years. Andrea utilizes EMDR to help people overcome distressing, stressful, or traumatic experiences. Andrea works with adults who experience anxiety and stress and who have experienced traumatic events in their life. Andrea also works with medical professionals who experience burnout and vicarious trauma. Andrea also works with young adults, helping them identify their place in the world. Andrea enjoys working with gifted adults as well. Prior to becoming a psychotherapist, Andrea worked as a theater director, producer, and occasional playwright. She enjoys doing yoga and spending time with her golden retriever, Maggie. Meet Andrea at andreaharbecktherapy.com. Here's the interview with Andrea Harbeck. In your own words, who is Andrea Hardback? That is such a good question. Um, I, you know, I think I am a pretty multifaceted person. I tend to be drawn towards, you know, a variety of things. I started my life and career in the theater and then transitioned later into doing therapy. Um, and I think I, I have a, a unique ability to find the kind of through line between things that may seem very disparate. And so I really enjoy looking at things that may seem like they're not related to one another and figuring out how they mesh together. That sounds interesting. And that kind of makes me curious <laughs> to know more about the transition between theater and therapy. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say to me, wow, that seems really like 
strange transition, but to me, it made a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I did theater for a number of years and I owned a theater company and a couple things that I enjoyed about that. One was we tended to do um, sort of socially active, engaging type of theater um, with a message to it. And then I also realized that what I really loved about the theater was the psychology behind the characters and figuring out a character and who they were and why they were the way they were and really manifesting that. And so I decided that I wasn't getting the kind of results in helping humanity that I was hoping for through theater. And that I was also just so intrigued with this psychological aspect that I decided to transition um, into therapy. And I chose social work because of its holistic approach. So, you know, social work tends to look at the whole person and their environment um, and all of the things that impact them. Um, and of course, the psychology of the person that I, I was drawn to as well. That makes sense. When you think that way, of course, theater and acting, it is getting to know the character. Um, right. how they think, their emotions, uh, how the environment affects them. I mean, that's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, psychology to me is spirituality, <laughs> is the inner world of humans. So with that in mind, that's another question that I, I mentioned off record, I would bring to the conversation. Do you have a spiritual practice or spiritual views of yourself in the world, Andrea? Yeah, you know, I feel like my sense of spirituality has evolved over time. And I feel like it is also sort of multifaceted. Um, I, I do like the Christian idea of living a life that is much like Jesus and how he lived. And I really believe in those aspects of, of that. I've also incorporated meditation and Buddhist practices into my life. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's always important for me as well to tap into that spirituality with the people I work with and, what, and whatever that may be for them. Um, you know, sometimes spirituality is a walk in the park and I get that as well. I think that is a powerful nature is a powerful spiritual um, capacity for us. Um, so while I have my own practice, I, I like to cultivate that in the people I work with as well and help them figure out what is it that is, is meaningful to them and what brings them um, that sense of joy and love and, and purpose. Yeah, that's beautiful to hear. So spirituality can be practiced in different ways, mm -hmm. right? It's not just one way. There's not just one way of doing that. And I absolutely agree. And to me, really, what is not spiritual? Usually that's what I say to myself. Everything is the expression mm -hmm. of the divine. Right. Changing the topic for a moment, although everything is connected to me as well. Mental health. What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? Such a good question. And I think there's not a one size fits all necessarily. Um, you know, you might say in a more sort of practical way, it's someone who can function in, in the world um, and do what they need to do to take care of themselves and others. But I think there's more to it than that as well. 
I think it it is also having a an ability to overcome obstacles, um, to face life in a way that is not only functional but brings you joy, brings you happiness, um, brings you a sense of purpose. I love that answer. Resilience and a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. When it comes to purpose, do you also believe that we all have unique purposes here or one purpose? It's just finding something that brings us joy. And we can call it that purpose. How mm. do you view that idea? You know, I think it's a really important part of being human is finding a purpose. And that may change over time. Um, I feel like my purpose in the world changes all the time. Um, And sometimes it's multiple things that bring me a sense of purpose. But I think it's very difficult to feel, feel completely fulfilled in life without any sense of purpose. Mm. That feels very lost to me. Yeah, that resonates true. Another question is, if if there's a a purpose for this human life, Mm -hmm. what would that be? What comes to mind? You know, for me, it's always been, in some form, making the world a better place, helping people um, live a better life, um, being compassionate and... um, you know, I, I think that if we are all have a, a global purpose of um, in, increasing the quality of life for the rest of us, that would be, you know, an amazing collective purpose to have. But for me, personally, that that is what brings me a sense of purpose. When it comes to purpose, I hear that a lot, helping others, um, helping yourself and others at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you wonder why that is, that most of us feel the same way? You know, I, I often recommend to people I work with to go volunteer or something to help someone else. And I think that in doing that, you're tapping into a couple things. One is you know, your own sense of purpose and also your connection with another human being. And I think connection is so important for humans. And so out of that connection comes this desire to help the other. And I think that there is then that bigger, broader sort of spiritual um, connection that we all have. Uh, the empathy that, you know, hopefully most of us carry for other people um, is really tapped into when you're when you're helping someone, and that is a you know empathy. I think is an experience that is not only um, kind of of this world, but also a spiritual experience um, to connect with other people on a level where you understand what is going on for them and you feel it in your heart as well. Mm, yes, what a beautiful answer. You speak for me in a way, especially with the spiritual peace. Yes, is that knowing that we're all connected, almost like it comes <laughs> to life and becomes this uh, manifestation in the world. That's how I feel. It kind of um, it resonates true and it, it kind of 
there's that trust behind it. Everything I do that's beneficial to me and others, that's it. That's the goal in a way. Mm-hmm. What are some of the misconceptions we have about therapy, or most people have? And also, what's the goal of therapy? You know, I think a lot of people think that they're going to go to a therapist and the therapist is going to tell them exactly what's wrong with them (laughs) in their life. (laughs) Yeah. Tell them what they can do to fix it. And then they're going to walk away and everything's (laughs) fine. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes that's a hope for people, right? Hmm. Someone will just fix it for them or tell them what they need to do to make their life better. Yes. And that's not really the point of therapy. It's, it's for me, it's walking with someone else on their journey towards health and wellness and well-being. I have some um, tools and expertise that I bring to the table, but I I look at it as a partnership. And um, I'm not there to say this is what you need to do with your life, but I'm there to help you illuminate those paths that you might be able to find um, and help you down that road. You are a licensed clinical social worker, MDR therapist. You have been MDR therapist for over 10 years now. So that's fascinating, this modality. As I said off record, I have heard so many good things about it and Mm -hmm. how amazing it is. It almost, I never thought about doing it myself, perhaps out of curiosity, but I usually don't engage on healing modalities out of curiosity. I have to be like in the position of needing that. Talk to me about what, for those who don't know, what EMDR is and how it works, Andrea. Yes. So it is a very different approach to therapy in many ways than your sort of traditional talk therapy. So most people will go to a therapist and maybe you'll talk through your problems and there's some different modalities that may help you um, with those and illuminating, you know, what's going on for you um, and how you may move forward. Um, While there is talking involved in EMDR and that, that is integrated into the process, it actually uses something called bilateral stimulation to help you process distressing life events. So it was originally created for trauma, but it has been shown to be effective for other issues as well and just sort of general life distress. So what happens originally in EMDR, um, you would follow either the therapist's finger with your eyes back and forth, or sometimes people use a light bar and you follow that light back and forth with your eyes which is stimulating this bilateral stimulation in your brain. It's engaging both parts of your brain. And one of the theories behind it is that it's similar to REM sleep. So if you know in REM sleep, your eyes move back and forth. And that's a time when your mind is kind of integrating and processing things that happen to you during the day. Right. So we also can use bilateral stimulation in the form of buzzers that buzz intermittently between your hands. And we can also have people tap intermittently on their shoulders or their knees. So any of these ways will activate this bilateral stimulation in the brain. And so instead of in maybe, you know, traditional talk therapy where you may tell the therapist your whole trauma story or the distressing thing that happened to you, which can in many cases kind of re-traumatize you because Mm. you're living that experience in the office with the therapist 
And that's not always so helpful. So what happens with EMDR, if you think about when you have a trauma or something difficult happen to you, um, your two things can happen. One is that you can, let's say you got into a car accident and you walked away and you said, that was really scary. I was very scared, but now I'm okay and I can move forward. Or you get into the car accident and you walk away and you say, that is really scary. And that scary feeling stays with you. And you're triggered by it. You can relive it. It's, it's sort of at the front of your mind uh, or can easily be triggered to become at the front of your mind. And so when that happens, when you're not moving from the scary or the emotional experience into what we would call uh, an adaptive response, which is I'm okay, I'm safe, into a response that is now telling you I'm not safe, maybe I'm not okay in the world. And so what EMDR does, utilizing the bilateral stimulation, it helps your brain link the neurons between the emotional experience and the adaptive response that you ultimately want to have. So that when someone is done processing with EMDR, they can say, you know, this really scary thing happened to me and I recognize that it was hard and it was scary, but now I know I'm safe, I'm okay, I can move forward. And that's the, the goal of EMDR. Um, there's eight phases to EMDR. Um, and the first phase actually begins with what we call resourcing, which is helping people... Um, identify ways to calm themselves, to um, feel more emotionally safe. And so we often use imagery work. Um, so we'll utilize something called peaceful place, where we would have you imagine a peaceful place and kind of, and we would sometimes add the bilateral stimulation to that to kind of integrate that into your whole body. Um, then we move on to processing phases. And in that phase, we ask people to think about an image that represents the worst part of what happened to them, a negative belief they have about themselves when they think about that, and bring the awareness to their body sensations and their emotions. And then we'll ask them to think about all of those things as we add the bilateral stimulation. And that goes on for a short period of time then the therapist will stop and check in and say, what did you get? And the, the client will respond back with a short response of what their experience was while under that bilateral stimulation. And then we'll say, most cases, go with that. And you will go back and do some more bilateral stimulation. And that back and forth checking in with the bilateral stimulation happens until those neurons connect to that adaptive processing. And some and your own brain is able to come to a healing point where you can say, yeah, that was hard, but I processed that event. And now I know that I'm safe and I'm okay, or I'm a good person, or whatever the, the sort of negative belief you might have had about yourself prior to the processing happens. Um, and then we work on future responses. So if something similar happens to you, how do you want to respond in a positive way? And we integrate that into the process as well. It sounds amazing, as I thought the first time I heard it. That's exactly what 
the word that came to me. That sounds yeah. like an amazing approach to therapy. So this will be good for people who are grieving or have lost loved ones. There was a shock for them at that moment. Sure. I see that with my husband. EMDR would be a good method for someone who is having suicidal thinking. So when someone is actively suicidal, we want to make sure that they're stabilized before we dive into the EMDR processing. Um, so we may do, you know, a lot of what I call resourcing up front, some of that imagery work and some mindfulness work and um, some work to help them, um, you know, feel more emotionally stable before we dive into the processing work, which while it tends to be an easier processing than just sort of the traditional talk therapy where you're telling your whole story, it still can be, you know, an emotional and, and difficult experience to process through that. Um, we want to make sure that people are in a relatively good place and have some tools and resources to make sure that they're, um, you know, strong enough and, and feel safe enough and good enough to go through that process. Is that also goes for people on medication, Andrea? Do you prefer in a way to apply the MDR therapy to use it with someone who is not taking medication rather than people who are, or it doesn't make a difference? It doesn't make a difference. Hmm. So that's good to know as well. Another question is about these sessions. They can be done effectively online, remotely, and in person, or in person might be better. You know, I have done it many times online, and during the pandemic, I did EMDR exclusively online, and it is just as effective. Um, there are some tools that they have now where um, you can share your screen with the client, and there's a ball that moves across the screen that they can um, use for the bilateral stimulation, and the whole process is really very similar. Um, so it, it has been shown to work just as effectively remotely. How do we know when to engage with EMDR? Like to have you working with me, for example, how do I know this is the best method? Mm -hmm. People ask that question often as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think as with any therapy, it's important first and foremost that you feel comfortable with that therapist that this feels like someone that you can trust, someone that is non-judgmental, um, someone who can kind of hold space for you in a safe way. I think that's first and foremost. Um, and then you want to make sure that the person you're working with has been trained um, and has gone through the consultation period um, of EMDR so that they are well qualified um, to do that work with you. And then, you know, having a conversation with them about what that might look like, even though the, the phases are the same for everyone, it's going to look a little bit different depending on where you're coming from. Um, and so they may talk you through after, you know, a, a period of getting to know you and, and what you're coming to them for. They may be able to say, you know, I think we're going to have an extended period of resourcing um, where we're going to make sure you're in a really good place before we start processing. Um, or they may say, you know what, you have a lot of internal resources and I feel like this is something you can process through fairly quickly. Um, so a conversation, you know, and again, the first 
first thing you want to make sure that you feel good and comfortable with that person. How did you discover EMDR, Andrea? Did you uh, actually expose yourself to other forms of healing and then you chose this one or EMDR chose you in a way? Um, you know, I started off with, with what is called psychodynamic therapy, which is kind of a modern offshoot of psychoanalytic therapy. And that's your more kind of traditional talk therapy gain insight into, you know, their past and how that might impact who they are today. And while I still integrate that kind of insight-oriented work into my work with people, even if I'm doing EMDR, um, I heard about EMDR, you know, about 10 or so years ago. And someone said, you know, this is, this is really different from what you've done before, um, but that it it just is a game changer for people, particularly if they've experienced some distressing events in their life. And so I thought, I'll, I'll give it a try. As, you know, that I'm always interested in in trying new things and, and doing things in, in new and unique ways. Um, and back then, it was kind of considered woo-woo, you know. <laughs> right. Um, right. This, you know, <laughs> movements and what that all about and... Um, but since, you know, I've been trained, you know, I found it to be effective as soon as I started using it, but since I've been trained, it's actually one of the most researched evidence-based practices there is. So there's a lot of good evidence of this and from my personal experience and, and from the research that this is a really powerful tool for people. Yes, that's what I have heard about it. Yeah, and really convinced me even without having any experience with it directly. And with that in mind, have you had a direct experience with EMDR? I have actually. Um, you know, when you go through your training, you you practice with other clinicians and so you do kind of little mini EMDR sessions. But then I also had my own experience. So I had some medical trauma as a child and I went through you know, many years where I would have panic attacks when I went into hospitals and sometimes when I went to the doctor's office. And I really know what to do with that. I'd sort of talked through what had happened to me when I was younger and I was still experiencing this panic. And after going through EMDR myself for those issues, I can confidently and comfortably walk into a hospital I have memories of what happened to me, but I can say, you know what, that's in the past and I'm okay. I came through it. I'm healthy. I'm safe now and have no issue with it. So, yeah. It's amazing how the brain can rewire itself. It chains. That's called neuroplasticity, right, Andrea, from what mm -hmm. I heard. It's incredible how resilient we are. It's almost like the body's this... Uh, the body and mind, the brain, it's a self-healing machine. It is. It really it, is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people think about physical injuries and our body is made to heal physical injuries, but I think it's relatively new thinking that our brains are are part of our physical body. Mm -hmm. and right. Aid for healing as well. We're almost at the end, but I do have a question for you about the piece that you have written titled, I Cannot Stop My Negative Anxious Thoughts. There you write about some of the advices we hear and suggestions 
about how to stop the negative anxious thoughts by being authentic, by trusting ourselves, engaging with uh, self-care. And then you say, my favorite one is just let go. (laughs) It it made me laugh when I saw that because it is true. (laughs) Just let go as if just could happen. So that caught my attention because I do hear that a lot. (laughs) What is the danger per se? It's almost like in a way it is dangerous because we are not addressing the very important aspect of the human life, that we are different and unique. We don't see life the same. Mm -hmm. We don't have had the same experiences. But from your perspective, what is the main issue with these statements and advices? Yeah, you know, I think they're very surface level to me. They almost feel like a Band-Aid to me. So sometimes we need a Band-Aid. Sometimes Band-Aids are helpful and effective. Um, But we have a deeper wound and band-aid may temporarily stop the bleeding you may be able to say oh i'm going to do some self-care and i feel a little better but if that wound is deep enough then that bleeding is going to come back again and that band-aid is not going to stop it permanently what we need is a deeper intervention we need stitches or we need deeper therapy or something like emdr to really heal um, what's behind that And I think just saying, um, you know, just get over your problems in a sense um, is is a little too simplistic. And I love the way you um, summarizing, almost summarizing what EMDR can do for us. You say by processing distressing life events and learning tools and skills to help manage stress and anxiety, you can let it go. Mm-hmm. that's the way to let go. And I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for making it very clear and bring this to my attention too and to the audience, because a lot of times we just say it, we do tend to say this in, in a way of trying to make people feel good, but mm-hmm. it's not what most people need. I agree. We, a lot of times it's going deeper, finding what the root problem is. That's what healing also, true healing is all about. So thank you so much, Andrea, for your presence in the healing world. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Before we say goodbye, I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. And before the ending questions, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid about yourself, what you do, and EMDR? Um, You know, I think it can be um, difficult for people to make the dive into therapy, whatever therapy you might decide choose. Um, and that can be a scary process. Um, but I think it is so worth it to, you know, step out of your comfort zone, maybe a little bit and find somebody who you feel comfortable with and who you trust and who you feel safe with and who is non-judgmental. There's something very powerful about having a person like that guide you through whatever it is you're going through. And I encourage people to um, kind of take that leap if they're considering it. Yes, an infinite yes to that truth. Everyone should have a therapist, the truth (laughs) is, because it feels like you're talking, you're in the presence of a a best friend, somebody who wants the best for you. There's shame behind um, emotional Mm. issues. It seems like we're trying to hide. We hide a lot. (laughs) We wouldn't hide anything that goes wrong in the physical body, but we tend to hide uh, negative thinking, anger, resentment. 
we try to push them away, but they never go away. So this is the remedy, really. That's what we need, just to talk to somebody like yourself to understand what are those voices trying to say, those feelings trying to express. You know, I think, think we can just shove them away and they will go away, but they don't go away. They within your body and they can manifest themselves in physical symptoms or emotional symptoms or um, all kinds of things. So, yeah, it's so important to address them. What is freedom to you, Andrea? Hmm. Very good. Um, I think for me, it's being able to live your life the way that feels true and authentic and good to you, um, while also holding space for the fact that we're all interconnected. Um, and so sometimes I think freedom gets misunderstood as I can do whatever I want to do and I'm not going to think about anyone else. And I think true freedom really acknowledges the fact that we're all connected and, and that my actions and what feels good to me also need to take into consideration that we are all connected beings. I love that. <laughs> what is not to love about you? Your beautiful answer. Yes. So before I ask you my final question, the technical question, I want to thank you again for your presence in this reality, uh, for doing this beautiful work of bringing us closer to ourselves, to our true selves, so we can experience this life in a more peaceful, healthy, joyful way. It's something that's missing for some of us, not all of us, of course. So thank you so much for your presence here and everywhere at this time, my Andrea. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do as well. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your services, work, and future projects? Yes, you can find me online at www.andreaharbecktherapy.com. And my last name is spelled H-A-R-B as in boy, E-C-K. So it's Andrea th andreaharbecktherapy.com. Um, and all of my information for contacting me is there. There's a form you can fill out to um, send me a message as well. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for Thanks. now, Andrea. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Andrea Harbeck and her work, please visit andreaharbecktherapy.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.